This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd. And I'm joined, as always, with Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Yo, I'm Chris. I am the chief executive nerd with Love Thy Nerd. And uh, Drew and I get the pleasure of hosting this podcast, Humans of Gaming, uh, where we invite people that make and work on these games that we love so much. Uh, we get them on here and ask them about their deepest, darkest fears and dreams and desires and all that good stuff. Really just with the uh, intent to get to know them as people, you know? Uh, interviewers are always asking these folks like yeah, about you the made thing sound- they made, but they don't often ask them about who they are as people. So that's what we try to do. And you made it sound like more even scarier than it normally is. Like their deepest, darkest. <laughs> that was the point. Yeah, I was trying so, to. So that's fun. I was trying to scare our guest. I don't scare easy. We're joined by Terry Latorco. Hello. And uh, you want to share your deepest, darkest fear? Um, yeah, getting swallowed up by the earth, I think, is the one. It's <laughs> the one. Like, it. I mean, honestly, like immortality and being buried alive at the same time, that's, that'd be the worst, the worst thing to happen. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Do you, where do you live, by the way? Uh, so I am located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which is, uh, it's across the river from Detroit. Um, so we treat this as Detroit, but I get to, I get to live that, that Canadian life, uh, in that, you know, you're all Southerners to us, right? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> we have, we have winter and it's not a thing. And across the river, they're having like state of emergencies declared because it's, cold outside yeah yeah i was curious because you said your deepest darkest fear was being swallowed up by the earth and i was thinking out where chris lives that's a real possibility because they just had some uh earthquakes it's kind of scary oh yeah (laughs) but uh it feels like they're everywhere now though so it's like you can't run from it that's true that's true but you're probably safer than chris at least yes thankfully (laughs) so um Terry, you're, you work for Renegade Games, and you've done a lot of work for Geek and Sundry in the past. How, how would you frame kind of your work in the games industry uh, So uh, for our listeners? Um, it's all by happenstance. It, like, to be perfectly honest, I have been so fortunate. This isn't a thing that I... I necessarily like aimed towards or geared towards or, or like, you know, grew up telling my high school counselor, like, I really want to do this. Like I wasn't, I've, I still don't, I'm not the kind of person who designs games and not that, that, that seems too scary for me. Games are, are too beautiful, a medium. And I, my brain does not work that way, but I, I've played games all my life. My father taught me how to play chess when I was like five. So he used to hustle um, on the streets of Manila playing chess with people. And that was his game. And so I learned early, like, like an appreciation for, for, you know, strategy games. Um, and then I ended up, I took a summer job working for a game company called Games Workshop, uh, where I worked in a mall, 
in university. Um, and that's uh, sorry, that's Warhammer, right? They that's do Warhammer. Warhammer yeah. yeah. So I sold, <laughs> I sold Warhammer in West Edmonton Mall in yeah. university for a summer, and that was in the middle of like their Lord of the Rings boom too. When Lord of the Rings the movie and the game were selling like yeah, yeah. It was like the the height of of miniature wargaming in that 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 kind of epoch if you if you think of it in that kind of you know timeline of of that company and so because i i had been playing warhammer in the store it was really the first modern hobby game i ever got into Jeez. So, yeah <laughs> that's, uh, that's diving in head first right there <laughs> i i i had been um so so my boyfriend who's now my husband um at the time i discovered it and uh I, I I found these miniatures in a box in a corner in the closet somewhere, and I'm like, "What the heck are these?" And uh, we spent most of our like high school courtship time playing StarCraft. So, and he had mm-hmm. Tyranids and Space Marines, and these are all very familiar to me. And so mm-hmm. I was like, "What what is this?" And so he introduced me to the game when we we went to university. Um, we started playing at the local games workshop. I got the art like. Back then, it was like really strict. Like you had to have your armies fully painted, three colors minimum. Bases <laughs> had had to have like primer. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So that I was like tournament it. rules or what? That was to play in the store. Oh, like wow. if you wanted to show up to for the drop-in oh, game wow. on Thursday nights uh, or their veterans nights, you needed to have fully painted models. So I spent like six months painting miniatures. Wow. Sp- painted like fifteen hundred points of miniatures. Got there, lost all my games, <laughs> and then bought more to try to get better. And I, I'd been playing there for about a year before the manager approached me and said, "Hey, we're having an opening. You should apply for it." And that's how I ended up like first working in the hobby. But again, wow. so I'm curious, um, like if you had shown up to one of these nights and your miniatures were either not painted or like sloppily painted, what would you, would be people like go home? fix this think about what you back when you're like so when you have something presentable (laughs) so i became the person who had to like tell people like oh gosh because when you worked there you had to enforce that rule so when i worked at games workshop we had like we had you know they changed the rules afterwards now they're much more much more accessible but at the time in the store because we had this mm-hmm. rule, so someone would pull out miniatures. If they weren't painted, usually their opponent would say, hey, your minis aren't painted. If, like, a staff member, a staff member would come in and say, yeah, unfortunately, you've got to get your miniatures painted. You know, come over to the painting table. We can show you, like, tips to get them done. Shoddily painted wasn't a thing. Like, it, if you put time and effort into your miniatures, that's fine. Even if you don't have to be the most, most skilled or the most mm-hmm. talented, they don't have to be beautiful. They just have to have at least three colors and they need to have their bases not not primer or black texture on their bases that was that was the minimum and you know i got there i barely made it like some of those (laughs) i i I painted my own (laughs) a tau army which is like space aliens and then i also painted up uh my my significant others tyranids and so we did i did 1500 points of both and they barely qualified. It was not, they did not look great, um, mm. but they were done. And then <laughs> eventually as I got painting and as, as I joined yeah. that community, I got more, more comfortable with that. I started uh, getting tips from people. It was just a really helpful community to be in. And there are people who just show up and watch games 
as they were getting their armies done, like they were still part of the community it was really welcoming in that way. So it was a great experience. But you know, that, that barrier really motivated me to get those minis done. Yeah, that's wild. So yeah. Games Workshop, um, and then what happened from there? Well, I I ended up, so uh, I got my degree, and I ended up working for, like, regular corporate types. So I, I lived, I went to school. I was born, raised, went to school in Alberta, Canada, which is oil country. So mm. um, after after that, I ended up working for uh, a bunch of companies, um, some startup companies, a marketing company. Uh, I, of course, worked for an oil company at, some, at one point, but I didn't really get to to into gaming until 2013. Um, so mm. I started a YouTube channel uh, because at the time I was uh, I was the quote unquote uncredited executive producer of a miniature wargaming podcast that was hosted by by then my husband and his his best friend and be the best man at his wedding so they mm -hmm. they would do a weekly podcast where they'd talk about miniature war games mostly you know games workshop games at least in the beginning and then they branched off but being as a, a gamer who also discussed you know these things i'd often like my my partner would often steal my best insights and use them <laughs> on his podcast. Wow. And, and then everyone would be like, oh, that's so smart. And I, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm done with that. Uh, I'm going to make a, a YouTube channel and I'm going nice. like, to like show painting tips and and I'm going to talk about miniature war games on it. And at the time, it was like a little bit of, of me saying, you know, I, that was kind of the early days of like when beauty vloggers were a thing and like starting to get really big on youtube mm, it's okay, funny yeah. to think about it now as like you know at the time it wasn't a big thing but like I that know. was that was the time and so i was like you know I'll, I'll kind of aim it so like it looks like i'm like the beauty vlogger slash uh rachel ray slash martha stewart of miniature <laughs> games that was my my goal as i was just trying to to make videos to show people there you go. It was easy, it was accessible, and like I could be your best friend. We can like talk about makeup, but we're talking about minis. It's cool. Yeah, um, that's great. So, so I made this YouTube <laughs> video. Okay. Yeah, there's some overlap there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think part of it is like when I wanted to approach it, there were a lot of people making like painting videos on YouTube at the time, but they were long and they were hard for me to watch. And if you didn't have a fluency in the hobby already. You didn't know what they were doing. It just looked like watching someone do magic, right? Like when you watch yeah. a, a really skilled artist paint a painting, mm -hmm. you don't know what's happening there. And even if they tell you the steps of what they're doing, you know, it, it's kind of, it's it's hard because it's not the same. It's uh, I remember um, I saw a, a painting tutorial once where it was like, here's how to paint tattoos on a miniature. Step one, you know you know paint the flesh tone on step two paint your design on step three shade your design you're done and it was like this incredible like award-winning studio paint tattoo and it's like the least useful tutorial <laughs> i was like yeah. nobody can do that right yeah <laughs> and so i wanted to to make content that was the opposite of that like hey you want to know how to dry brush your miniatures here is how you do that. This is the most basic technique. You want to know how to mm -hmm. thin your paints with water. Like this is the thing that every painter does. They thin their paints from the bottle in some manner, but 
it never there is no bottle of paint for miniatures out there that says thin this with water before applying to a miniature. So we take it yeah. for granted, right? So those are the things mm-hmm. I kind of focused on. And around like four or five months later, serendip like serendipity hit, and um, Geek and Sundry where it was doing a call out for for vloggers who okay. wanted to join their network. Um, and, and this was like early Geek and Sundry. I mean, they were just kind of getting going. Second year. It was the second year. Yeah. So it was the first year Geek and Sundry. This is Tabletop. It kind of established itself. They brought in the, the I think it was the last season of the Guild onto Geek and Sundry. Um, mm-hmm. Felicia Day was like just building this thing up. Mm-hmm. And it was funded with Google Money. And so they were expanding using Google Money again uh, for YouTube to, to expand uh, a vlogging network so they can put out more content. Um, from like and trying to to showcase different perspectives from different geeks and um i was the only one who applied who was talking about miniature war games and oh, nice. and it, well that made the decision easy for well them, i mean I, I don't they they had we had <laughs> the vloggers who got chosen the vloggers who got put through into like the the there was like a whole voting it was a little, it was like it was a little bit reality tv-ish there was a point where like you put in your audition video and then they took you, they took all the applicants. I think there was a, a few hundred of us. And then you put, they put you into like a voting pool and they use the votes to influence the producer's decisions in the end. And so um, I wasn't like, I did, I made it into like the top 12 or something uh, of the 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that might not like, if I didn't have like, like producer intervention, I probably wouldn't have made it. And so they, they, they picked me. And so I started vlogging with them back Mm. in 2013 and, Mm -hmm. and we did that. And then when the, when the Google money ended, they moved over to Twitch. And so the vloggers were offered uh, the opportunity to continue to contribute to Geek and Sanji by writing blogs on the site. And so I did that for a few years um, so I, I did like news, pop culture, fandom kind of coverage, but mostly focused on like tabletop oriented content. And so, cause that was my passion. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I live too much in my basement to keep up with pop culture <laughs> really well. <laughs> it's like, you know, so, so like games have a, have a slower news cycle. It feels like there are, a, there's a lot happening always, but we're still kind of, we don't keep up with like nothing like yeah. television or the movies right it's not comparable oh sure yeah so so i did that for a few years and then mm-hmm. after 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 a couple years of that um i got a book deal and so i i wrote a book on tabletop gaming and around that same time geek and sundry said hey we we need someone to help out on the editorial side of the site would you be interested in editing for the site as well uh so i became a contributing editor um, around the time that my, like about six months after my book released. So it was really like, I just, it, I kind of fell into this, this, this thing. Everything uh, was coming up. I, Terry, I got, yeah. I'm really yeah. lucky. And so, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> up until, uh, March, uh, I was managing all the editorial stuff on the site, um, for the last like year and a half, um, before that. So I was, I was, just turning away, covering tabletop, um, you know, helping try, like bringing the perspective, like trying to make these things accessible, 
right? How do you make D&D accessible? How do you, how do you find the hooks in pop culture? Yeah. It's easier to understand what yeah. lawful good looks like. If you can say, hey, so here are like five characters in movies and television who are actually lawful good, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you say, you know, you know, Jake Peralta on Brooklyn Nine-Nine is lawful yeah. good. This is what he looks like, right? Or, or when you – when you, I can appreciate a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference. Thank right? And, but it's easier because like everyone assumes lawful good is boring, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. Or, or like, you know, everyone likes to hate on bards. But when you say, hey, you know, Kubo in the two strings, Kubo is the bard, and he can do oh, amazing gosh. things. You're referencing all the right things right now <laughs> because I love that movie. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. And that's like <laughs> – Oh, it's so it's, good. It's a perfect – it's a perfect – like if you want a three-party D – like a three-character D&D party and you base it off of Kubo, you're going to have a great time. And it's yeah. just this – it's a beautiful story, but it's also like a really great example of what – what that kind of magic and what kind of character you can play that doesn't that kind of breaks the 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 idea mm. of what you need to have yeah. right you know mm-hmm. murder hobos you don't have to be a yeah. murder hobo so and yeah, yeah so now now <laughs> i oh go ahead uh, i was just going to say i do kind of want to go back a little bit what was the title uh, of it, your book the title of my book is uh, the civilized guide to tabletop gaming um, so I wrote it as a a kind of like etiquette slash survival guide to to navigating mm. the tabletop gaming community. So it covers a yeah. whole bunch of stuff. Um, not everything's going to be applicable to every gamer, you know. So there's information in there for people who are newer to tabletop gaming. Mm. You know, what does what do you, what's what's a card collected game or what's a euro game or so when when we throw mm-hmm. around these words when we talk about tabletop games, we at assume a specific fluency but the fact of the matter is people don't know what orthogonally means generally <laughs> when we read a rule book we had that uh we had the orthogonal we discussion recently. at origins yeah, yeah. it's like that you don't hear that word no, anywhere yeah, else it's it's it feels like it's really specific to 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 what we yeah. are or what does a what's a point salad game or what's a worker uh-huh. placement game um so there's part of it for that and for those people who who are learning that stuff and coming into it, like what do you what should you look for in a game store? Why do you want to support your game store? Um, all the way up to how do you break up with yeah. someone in your gaming group? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> and so, go. like that yeah. whole habit, how do you host a gaming night? How do you have that conversation with them to say, hey, this isn't working? Hmm. Um, how do you set ground rules for gaming gaming session? Right, like. These are all things that we. I was just thinking, like we assume that people should have. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking we we need to review your book on Love Thy Nerd because that's like a big part of what we're trying to do is educate people about. Well, yeah. we it sort of maybe from a slightly different angle, but educate people. But I think it's a very much a similar goal because we're trying to educate people about the value of various things in nerd culture so like why do comic books matter why do board games matter why do take why do why does dungeons and dragons tabletop rpgs why are they valuable parts of our lives um and i think one of the big barriers that we see a lot of times with people like sort of licking askance or thumbing up their noses at various aspects of nerd culture particularly i think things like D and tabletop role-playing because it just seems like weird to people um or like to some Christians, it still seems like maybe dangerous or something, you know? Um, 
But part of, I think part of it is that the community mm-hmm. itself can sometimes be a little bit like, um, this is kind of a strong word maybe, but a little bit elitist, you know? Um, and so having a, a resource it, like that, your book is massively helpful, I think. You know, I think that's, that's so true because, I mean, I think when it comes to, like, especially like even breaking misconceptions about tabletop gaming, about D&D, like, they're... Video games went through this 20 years ago, right? Um, we don't, you know, tabletop games have been around for longer, but they haven't been as immersive, as narrative. They haven't been in worlds that that resembled the worlds of video games until very recently. And so, you know, we, we're at this point now again where where those misconceptions kind of, like, like we're still combating that. And because... Because EB Games now, or GameStop, they're selling board games in their yep. store too. Like it, yeah, it's yeah. hard to to to, to untangle them, mm-hmm. right? So those misconceptions can bleed into each other as well. Yeah. And so part of it for me is trying to trying to show like trying to show why gaming can bring people together. Trying to show people one of the things I cover is is how to teach effectively teach games. To to kids and how to raise a gamer in, mm-hmm. in, in the sense of like, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of families who use tabletop games as a way to like have a, a family night, right? They can kind of turn off the screens. They can all yeah. enjoy each other's company. What do those games look like? How do you teach someone? Uh, my daughter's been gaming since she was three, three years old. We started with very simple games and now she's playing, um, she's playing like midweight Euro games with us at the age of 10. So she's playing like architects of the West kingdom and Raiders uh, of the North sea with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but like that fluency didn't happen overnight. Right. And so like we Mm -hmm. kind of built her up. Um, But if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to, if you don't know what kinds of games or what you want to look for in a game to, to build, build that experience and build that fluency and also make sure that, everyone has a good time. Like when you introduce a game, whether it's to a child or to, to a friend who's adult or my parents, for example, who, whose experience with modern board games is very limited um, because they, they have very strong associations to gambling with gaming, Mm -hmm. you know, for obvious reasons. My, again, my father hustled playing chess, but like (laughs) when my mother sees dice and cards, she associates it with gambling and, and being a very Catholic very devout, uh, traditional, um, you know, person of an older generation. Uh, she's she's a septuagenarian. Um, it's wrapping her mind around that experience is is different for her. So accommodating yeah. that experience, it's it's really interesting to see how how that works. But you need you need to know how to do that. How do you effectively introduce people to games so that they have a good time? Yeah. So, uh, Games Workshop, Geek and Sundry, and now you are with Renegade Games. I am. Speaking of, uh, speaking of architects and Raiders of the North Sea. Mm-hmm. I, I just played Raiders really- of the North Sea with like all expansions the other day. Oh, nice. Oh, and, it's, oh, man. It's a hell of a game. Yeah. I mean, you have to say that, but I can say it. <laughs> and it's, you know, unbiased. It- 
it see <laughs> that, that, that's total, right um i mean i think that's the thing if, when it comes to these games right so i i played renegade games um before i, I was employed with them uh i tell this story mm-hmm. all the time gravwell was the first renegade game studio game i played um when i moved across the continent from alberta to ontario that was a game that made like it survived the purge. It it was a game that I used to measure other games against as to whether or not I would keep that game because mm-hmm. it it's such a different game um, in terms of its design and it still holds up. Mm-hmm. And so I I love these games. And it wasn't until like I started working for Renegade Game Studios that my family started realizing like, hey, we own a lot of their games. Like we didn't realize how many games. Yeah. From yeah. them, we owned um, because, like the the gamut of games that that Renegade produces, they go from they go from the game that my daughter wanted to buy at the game store because it had like the most adorable cat on it with mm-hmm. fireworks, which you know, which is the game it was called Fireworks. As a Chan yeah. has this cat, which is so cute. Um, <laughs> so we bought that game for her because it just looked really cute and it's really fun, mm-hmm. but. To, to the heavier games that we ended up picking up and, and even Clank, like there, these are things that, that didn't hit my partner's radar until like, he was, cause he doesn't pay attention. He's not in the industry. He doesn't pay attention to publishers mm-hmm. the way I do. He's like, Holy smokes. Like we, we dig a lot of their games. I'm like, yeah, well they make a lot of games and they make a lot right, of great yeah. games and they make games for a lot of different gamers. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the, I get the privilege to be able to help find the game to, to turn someone into a gamer because we make games for everyone. I kind of want to go, because now we've kind of heard your story of how you landed at Renegade, and I love your passion for um, you know, helping people find the right game for them so that they'll want to become gamers because I think playing games does make us like more thoughtful, uh better people and at the end of the day but but how did you get there to that you know to that to that place so we'll go all the way back to the beginning you said you grew up in in canada right i did so i was born um i was the first in my family born in canada so my parents um were born in the philippines uh they had my brothers there and they immigrated my brothers were very young Mm. and then Mm -hmm. 14 years after my youngest brother was born i showed up and, oh, hey. Yeah, so it was... Unexpected it, treasure. It, yeah, it was a surprise um, <laughs> to a pair of... of I, I like to tell my, my parents all the time, I kept them young, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so um, it, they, they were... My mom was 40, 41 when she had me. Hmm. And so uh, I would... Growing up, I had to navigate this generational as well as this cultural gap yeah Um, the world she she grew up in the world she expected um and the world i was growing up in especially being born when i was you know uh born and growing up in the 90s and then into the 2000s when the world was changing significantly Mm -hmm. and she was in her 50s trying to keep up i mean she always had me you know i always made sure she she knew how to check her email (laughs) Yeah. So that was great. She was managing her own website at 60, which is fantastic. But um yeah. but there was this this 
gap that we we are always trying to navigate and I, yeah. my brothers helped significantly with that so mm-hmm. so i got to get the i like to say i got the, to get the best of both worlds right so i got yeah. to to grow up with with a strong sense of heritage and a strong sense of tradition mm. um but i also get the benefits of modernity which is really nice yeah yeah so what brought and you mentioned earlier uh oh sorry you mentioned earlier that your mom was Catholic, um, and that's something that you were raised in as well, or absolutely. So, uh, the the Philippines is the only um, nation in Asia that is pr- like overwhelmingly Christian, and hmm. so we're looking at like ninety percent hmm. Christianity rate. Wow, wow. Um, and within that, it's like eighty percent Catholic. Hmm. Um, okay. So on Sundays, for example, in the Philippines, they run mass every hour on the hour uh, to accommodate all of uh, the faithful. Mm-hmm. And so, so I grew up with that. I grew up um, grew going to mass. I grew up, I was, you know, I went through all my sacraments. Um, I was married in a Catholic church. Um, my daughter was baptized. We, we have, like, I carried that faith both as... It's both faith, but also like a link to my own heritage because the lens by which Catholicism is viewed through in the Philippines is different. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like when, when, when it reaches different, different nations, it's interpreted Mm -hmm. and, and celebrated differently. So um, same celebration is very big. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Absolutely. So, so, Saint celebration is very big in the Philippines. So every every neighborhood essentially has uh, a patron saint. Um, so in the Philippines, the way the the government is organized, the smallest form uh, unit of government is the barangay. So in the barangay, they within a barangay, which is like it it can acom- encompass maybe twenty, approximately twenty blocks. Um, okay. So it's kind of like a, a neighborhood or a community, if you think about like the, like a small community within the cities and, and that sort of thing. Within the barangay, they'll have a patron saint, and that saint is celebrated um, and venerated for a week. And so no matter where you go, somewhere around, there is a saint celebration happening. Um, hmm. there's, it's also like like the high holy days are heavily celebrated. Um, and so... So when it comes to uh, right now, I you know June just passed. So the novena, um, which is a, a veneration of Saint Mary, uh, th- prayed through the rosary. That that's heavily celebrated there. People walk the streets with uh, loudspeakers praying the rosary. You know, I we like that was even brought when I was growing up in Calgary, the Filipino community association would pair with the church and we'd do that as well. Uh, so I have very strong memories of that. Um, and so that was part of like, again, uh, the, the blending of heritage and faith. Um, I grew up with a Santo Nino in my, my bedroom. So Santo Ninos, when you go to the Philippines, they are, they're like, they look like dolls almost you know 12 12 inch tall dolls sometimes are on a pedestal but they are the infant baby jesus um 
And so they're everywhere. And they're they're in like every household has at least one little statue of 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 Santonio. I grew up with one and then um in my room, like it, you know, and so uh, every night before bed, I'd say my prayers to, to baby Jesus. And, and so that, that was just part of, of growing up. Faith, faith and heritage were so interlinked for me. And then I got to see it when I go back to the Philippines. I've been, I've been there several times. Um, the, the veneration is, is on a different level. Um, Easter and and Lent are taken with a solemnity that is is very different. It it changed the way I viewed um, I viewed Easter. So so uh, from good f- like I remember being in the Philippines on uh, on Good Friday, and I watched people walk the streets, self flagellating bleeding and then ended up like they would end up crucified so they'd spend like an hour on the uh, on a cross nailed um it it's a whole different level it is it's called the penitentia like yeah like nailed how like nailed through their hands like they they would they're they're (sighs) oh my god level of poverty there and the the there is in a lot of ways, there's almost this medieval era kind of approach to faith. It's a very different uh, experience to faith than the, than the faith I grew up with in my parish in Calgary, in Canada. Mm. Um, in that, the it still had this this perspective of if you are good and if you are godly, good things will happen to you. And if you are bad, yeah, yeah. you are being punished by God. Mm-hmm. And so people would go through the penitentia, which is the penance, um, to to venerate and or and pay penance for their sins and or ask God for something. Like my daughter is sick. If I will do the penitentia, please heal her. So mm-hmm. it was yeah, it, yeah. it it's a it's a whole different interaction with faith, and I've never. I've never experienced that in the faith community I grew up in, but that was, Mm -hmm. that was something my mother and Mm -hmm. my father, you know, were very familiar with. That was, that was common for them when they were growing up. And and when I saw it for the first time, um, it was, it, it was very challenging. Um, And then, and then seeing it now and seeing how, Mm. how, how it's, it's still there um, and seeing just the everyday experience of faith there. It's a, when you drive around oh. in public transit, uh, uh, transit out there, like everyone uh, shares, uh, uh, it's not like Uber. You, you take a little jeepney or you take a little bus and you go around um, and they're kind of private runs. So like they're all the time, there's no schedule. You just jump on it when you see it. Um, you sit on this, this, this public transportation vehicle and as it passes a church, everyone does the sign of the cross. Everyone, even the driver. Um, and you'll pass like mm-hmm. six or seven churches because they're everywhere. It's just, <laughs> yeah. and this is like on a 15 minute trip. And, yeah. and this is just the normal way of things there. And so, hmm. so seeing how, hmm. seeing how it, it is in every aspect, 
um, the things I grew up with, see, visiting my, my parents' Filipino friends, I'd go to their houses and it was normal for them to have a seven-foot-tall statue wood carving of St. Peter at their door or a little yeah. grotto of, of yeah. St. Mary in their backyard, like, like with a, with a four foot tall St. Mary, like these were all normal to me. And it wasn't until I kind of um, made friends with people and, and visited their homes outside of this specific uh, heritage that I saw like, no, this, this is different. This is mm-hmm. special to what, how we experience and, and live our culture and faith. So. Yeah. That's interesting to me to hear your story because I think um, you seem to like have some concerns about some of these kinds of things at the same time, but a great like veneration or respect for them. And I think a lot of people like grow up and then they look back at their faith tradition or things and only see the things that frustrate them or annoy them. And you, you know what I mean? And like kind of break ties with it all together or, 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 or something, but you seem to have managed to, I don't know, to both have some, Yeah. is that fair to say? Like you have some genuine concerns about some of these things, but at the same time, a great, a great respect for, for the, the heritage and well, the meaning it, behind a lot of these, these rituals. It, so I grew up in, in, when I was growing up, I was an altar server. I, you know, I did all, I, you know, I went to Catholic school. Um, so I was raised in the faith, you know, as a, as a Roman Catholic. Um, and so, but seeing mm-hmm. it, seeing it both feel so alien to me, but so intimate to other people is was a very eye-opening yeah. experience, right? To be able to hmm. to to see mm-hmm. lived faith in that way um, was very different. And so, in the Philippines, where my father was born, so my father actually studied at a, at a seminary for a while. He was supposed to be a priest. Um, he didn't end up, thankfully, mm-hmm. for me at least. Um, oh wow! Because. The chess hustling right? priest. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, he ended up being a mechanic, which got him his ticket to Canada. So I'm grateful on all sorts of fronts. But in the region where he was born, um, the first son goes to God. So normally what would happen is your oldest son would become a priest. That that was just a thing. It's <laughs> one of the reasons why one of like um you know, we the Philippines likes to they export people, right? So the exportation of, of you'll see nurses, you'll see nannies, you'll see caregivers, and you'll see priests come out of the Philippines um, in the Roman Catholic mm. faith because that was the, in the particular region. That's just how, how that goes. And I can't, I cannot extract the, the, the elements of heritage that I feel proud and associated with that are intrinsic to my identity from the challenging parts of faith. I mean, I think, I think there are some people who are the the colloquial term I've heard is ham and eggs Catholic, right? You know, where you are, you, you have your, your your Mm -hmm. Easter and you have your Christmas and that's just, you know, that's, that's how you live faith. 
and and you kind of pick and choose. I can't look at my relationship with my faith without seeing the challenging elements of it as well as like the the important cohesive elements of it, right? You know, yes, Catholicism is part of mm-hmm. the reason why it's so dominant in the Philippines is colonialism and there are challenging problems mm-hmm. with that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, there is so much good that is that is that enriches people's lives through that faith that I can't extract. You can't extract the history and mm-hmm. and like you know, I, I I'd rather see something holy and appreciate it but also have those reservations rather than than just like I can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? Or or yeah. I, you know it's it's like trying sure. to cut the yeah. baby in half, right? Like you can't do that. Um <laughs> so I, I'm I much I'd yes. much rather approach it with the recognition of like, yes, there there are challenging problematic elements. But yes, it does so much mm. good and you know when you when you quantify it right i mean i when i i lived a period of time in my 20s where i had where i questioned and where i i went through my own um path to try to find personal identity validation and like in in that mm-hmm. you know i had to interrogate everything right so you know you can't you cannot mm-hmm. look at at the impact of Catholicism in the Philippines and not also see the important work that is happening there and see how it helps create community and cohesion and see like, yeah. you know, like yeah. the, the saint veneration that I, that I mentioned, right? Like that's just part yeah, of, I know. of culture there. Um, and it helps bring communities sure. together. Yeah. I really appreciate your perspective because, um, I think, like, especially in the States, like, there can be this, like, real... I mean, I get this from some people in my extended family, like, when they think of Catholicism, they think um, the scandals here in the United States. Um, and that's that's their perspective. And I think that's really unhealthy to just... You know, Yeah. I, I want to be careful here because, obviously, the scandals are, like, oh, absolutely. absolutely horrible... And there's like no, there's, there's absolutely no way to justify them. But, um, I think we also need to hear the stories of, of, of people like you and, and, and what your experience was like, um, you know, growing up around this and with a different sort of, um, yeah, just a different, uh, lived faith experience in a different culture, um, and and learn to appreciate that, you know? I think it's an incredibly healthy perspective to have, like, because things are just never that black and white. I mean, there's nothing, I don't think anyone could say there's anything in this world that humans have a part of that is all good. Yes. You know, like, there's always, we always screw something up yeah. somehow. We're really good at that. Um, Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really healthy perspective to say like, Hey man, there's a lot, there's a lot wrong. I mean, that's, it's kind of what we are trying to do with, with love thy nerd is to say like, Hey, here's the really beautiful parts of nerd culture, 
But hey, there's also some ugly parts too, you know, misrepresentation or misogyny or, you know, (laughs) toxicity or entitlement or, you know, all these other things. Um, I think that's, that's a really healthy perspective. I mean, man, how, how different would our politics look? Uh, you know, how different would our religions look if we were able to take a more balanced perspective like that? So that's super refreshing, Terry. I appreciate that. I mean, I think it, it, for me, I, I have seen faith from a, a, it's a different perspective just because, uh, the heritage and the history are so tangled. So in it, in and of itself, the history of Catholicism, Christianity in the Philippines is, is, is not, you know, black and white. Um, and, and mm-hmm. so moving forward from that and, but, and seeing where it is now, I mean, you can't, I, I have a hard time seeing the world in black and white in general. Mm. I, I try not to, I try not to judge. Well, obviously, I try not to judge because I never know what people have been through. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's not my job, thankfully. <laughs> you know, it's not my job to judge. Um, yeah, but it's really informed me about how I I want to conduct and like engage in the world in terms of like what what does it look like for me to mm-hmm. live as a person with this heritage, with, with this experience, with this, this, this background, how do I choose to engage with others and how do I, and, and can I live, can I live in a way that, that, that if parts of that are right, if, if, you know, if it's Santo Nino, if it's St. Peter at the end, like what, what does that look like for me? And if I can live a way that I don't have to yeah. feel like that weighs on me, that worries me. If I don't have to live in a way, if I can live in a way that I I don't have to stress about that, where I can feel good about those actions and I can feel like I am showing compassion and love and, and recognize, still recognize the parts of my own identity and, and history uh, and, and pay homage to that. You know, that's the best of both worlds. Again, like I'm, I'm, I'm tr- for me, it's about trying to get, try to get mm. the best out of those, yeah. out of that, right? I, tr- I always try to find the best out of every experience, and yeah, so this, great. you know, seeing my my faith is not not exclusive of that that approach. Yeah, I do have a question just out of curiosity because I think some of our listeners. Like we have a lot of listeners who are Christian. We have a lot who are not Christians or, or a lot. I think a lot who probably come from like mm-hmm. a Protestant background. And there's some Protestants I hear or I hear talk about like when they think of the idea of the veneration of the saints, they get all like squirmy yeah, and uncomfortable. It's... <laughs> you know? And uh, because they're, well, because their perspective is like, is that worship? Like, shouldn't we only worship God and, and Jesus, you know, worship the Trinity? So, um, so I just, be, but you, you, you don't talk about it in that way. So I'd just be curious to hear you. Like, what would you say to somebody who's like weirded so out by that or whatever? The way I understand and the way I have always engaged with, with St. Veneration has always been when it's like asking a friend to send good thoughts. Right. Like, you know, if you have, 
You know, if you have a job interview mm-hmm. with someone and you know someone who works in the company, and you'd be like, hey, can you put a good word in for me? <laughs> it, it's it's like that. So <laughs> so uh, same veneration <laughs> in that sure. way. You're not you're not praying to that person. You're you're asking them to pray for you. So instead of like, mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah. I, this is something that's very common with a lot of Christians, like yeah, in yeah. Christian communities, you, you, you send thoughts and prayers. Um, we, we share that, right? We, we share, you know, if, if someone's challenged or, or needs help, mm-hmm. you know, you pray for them. Um, if we believe mm-hmm. that, that these individuals right. who are blessed, who are, are, are holy, are existing eternally. If we ask them to pray for us, maybe something, maybe, maybe we can get a little bit of help on that front. And so that that's that's always been my approach to to viewing it. And that's how, mm-hmm. like, that's how it's always been framed to me growing up in it. Right? We're not praying to the saints. Um, we're praying. For we're, we're asking yeah. them to pray for us. And I think there's something really beautiful that maybe behind that, that a lot of Protestants maybe lose sight of. And I think it's that just a awareness of the faith of those who went mm-hmm. before us, you know, and their, their, like you talked about earlier, their lived faith experience. That's, I think maybe because some Protestants get real squirmy about that idea. Mm-hmm. Like they, maybe don't give enough thought to and don't like regularly feel connected to those previous generations of faith. So I appreciate, I, I, it's, I enjoyed hearing your perspective, you know, because it made me think like, you know, my, my grandmother was, um, very devout, um, in her faith. Uh, and she's, she's passed away several years ago now, but I, I don't spend a lot of time like, thinking about that or, 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 you know, uh, looking back on, on that, on her lived faith experience and trying to, to, to gain benefit or, or, it's, or it's learn from it. It's interesting know? to see, I mean, like the evolution of how we approach faith, um, the way that I can't extract, I can't extract heritage and history from my faith experience. I think it's really challenging to, to, unweave and untangle you know the history of 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 faith in the the a world where politics and power also existed and struggles mm-hmm. for struggles yeah. for the democratization of that right um you know i it it wouldn't have been too yeah. long ago where i would have heard mass in latin um which is as an like as a mm-hmm. a thought now to feel that distant from scripture is is totally crazy to to me you know as a person to to think mm-hmm. of that idea right and so yeah. and, and why any anyone right. would want to keep keep access away from that but at the same time you know that happened <laughs> that that was a thing that happened it it was an issue. Yeah. It was a big deal, mm-hmm. and so I, yep. I get, I get right. that. Um, it's it's hard to understand, and and necessarily see see faith from that that 
that perspective of looking back on how people experienced faith and, and practiced faith. But when I, when I think about, when I mm-hmm. think about um, my own lived experience, that's the only perspective I have, right? So I can, I can try to, I can try to navigate from that perspective and it makes it, for me, it yeah, makes it easier. Sure. And if, if, if it makes people uncomfortable um, in terms of mm-hmm. like the, the, the practice of my own faith, you know, I, I'm happy to talk to them and explain like what that looks like and why it is, why it looks that way. But, you know, I, I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone benefits from, from having, from, from not having that conversation if they're curious, right? Like, like we build understanding that way. Well, now you, you have this podcast where you explained everything. So you just tell them to listen to this podcast and then they can come back to you. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you know, I have a question. I, we always like to kind of ask this for people that, you know, have a specific faith kind of tradition or something that they practice. Like, how do you feel like um, your faith influences or plays into like the work that you do in the industry? Or if it does at all. That's really, honestly, I, I don't want to say that, that my, my background influences directly. So it's, it's like the way that my heritage, my skin color, my, my, my cultural Mm -hmm. background influences my work in the industry in that it both doesn't have it doesn't but it is in everything mm-hmm. i do does that make sense like yeah, i don't part of go you. it's out. like a holistic like you're, yeah. <laughs> i think we're yeah, learning I, like you're just you're a very holistic person i think you don't seem to have a lot of compartmentalization which i think is a, a something that more people do than don't is compartmentalize things, you know, like, Oh, this is my faith over here. You know, go to church on Sundays or this is my work here. I'm there Monday through Friday. Here's my free time where I play board games. Like you seem to really kind of everything is this amalgamation of just life and experience. And I love that, but other, other people may think it's weird. You know, it's for me, there was a point where I, when I was interrogating everything, Mm -hmm. I made a decision to try to optimize my life for happiness. And in order for me to do that, I had to approach my life as my truest self. And so what that looks like, Mm -hmm. it has to imbue everything I do while at the same time, um, I have to know who that is, mm. right? So like 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 that ex that the process of me going through that and the process of me understanding that and it's still not done. <laughs> like I am not I You're don't know cooking. who I am. You know, I'm still cooking, right? So it's it's <laughs> like I'm not I'm never going to be done this, but for me to mm-hmm. to find happiness, to pursue happiness, to try to fill the world around me with happiness. Um which is really what all I want to do. I want to make people around me happy. That that is that is my goal. I want to make sure that that they are cared for, they are loved, they are happy. And 
know, my ability varies person to person. Um, but if I can live that sure. as a as as a personal mission, then then that is me being me in that world, in this world. Mm. Games oh. games make people happy. That's great. I, I like to think <laughs> so. I mean I like to think so. Yep. I'm always happy when I beat Chris at a game. It's always Can I just say that my goal in life, my mission is to beat Drew in Scythe. He is unbeatable <laughs> in that freaking game. It is utterly maddening. <laughs> like I can't even oh, describe to you. I feel that way too. I ha- there are a few games like that with my husband and I, where oh. it's just like I can't, I can't. It's like mm. Blood Rage. It's Scythe. He just like. It's like I'm. I wasn't paying attention for the first half of the game, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I'm like, he's, he's gonna win, and I'm screwed. So, and the best part is like halfway through, Drew is like, uh, "Say so you'll be happy to hear that I started Rise of Finris last night with some guys. Oh, I'm so proud. Uh, of you. Some friends. I'm and, so proud. Uh, yeah, and I, I got, I got second place, but the guy who beat me beat me by like forty points. It was oh, good. It was. Not even close. So there you go. I need his autograph. Definitely beatable. I I <laughs> am fortunate enough to to be inclined towards uh, miniature war games, which rely very heavily on luck. So even <laughs> if I am a terrible general on the yeah. table, I can still just blame my dice and feel good about it. So. Perfect. That's that. That's my. That's my. That's the way I, I handle yeah. that. Terry, this has been really great chatting with you. Um, anything you want to plug? Any projects you got coming up, or or maybe some brand new games you guys have at uh, Renegade that you would that you would want to mention? Oh my goodness! That we are always making incredible mm-hmm. games. We're really excited about them. So coming up from uh, Renegade, we're going to be at Gen Con. Um, so. Uh, at Gen Con, we'll have available a bunch of games that will be coming out over August and September, including Bargain Quest by Jonathan Ying, who also designed Imperial Assault and uh, Doom. Oh, nice. um, and who also designed our Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid game. Yeah, um, those two games, like, there, really there's a lot of buzz around those for Gen Con, for sure. It's, it's, it's a Power Rangers and Bargain Quest, they're very different games, but at the same time, they're both beautiful well-designed experiences and so so for me to see jonathan's work kind of have that spectrum is really exciting and so i'm really excited to see how how people enjoy them uh we have artsy coming up which is like probably one of the most delightful games for me i i I like to dabble in art history and Mm. so so like like i try to appreciate art um i'm not especially like i'm bad with like modern Mm. art to be perfectly honest but like like um but Artsy is a game that has delightful parody art. So there's some really cool takes on, on like the more familiar pieces of art, like the Mona Lisa in there. So the, uh, the art design of that game is so fun and it's a really interesting puzzly game. So for the gamer, gamer, the gamer, the gamers, gamers, uh, this is like a real, like, like a real interesting game. I play it and then I, Immediately, I'm like, we rack, let's play again. Mm. Time Chase is a really delightful game, um, which is coming out as well. If you're a trick, trick-taking fan, um, Time Chase lets you... It's a trick-taking game where you 
can go back in time and change previous tricks. Oh. And so there's a really cool twist there you in terms of that travel. game. And that, that, it's, it's so cool. And so like, I feel like, you know, everyone, everyone plays these, these old, like everyone assumes trick taking games are, are stodgy because there's associated with like hearts yeah, yeah. and bridge and, and Kaiser. Um, this is one of those games that is, it turns that that idea on its head, and blends it with science fiction, which is really cool. Um, and and we're gonna have a whole bunch of other announcements happening at Gen Con. So keep your eyes peeled if you're if you're a fan of Renegade Games. Follow us. We've got a bunch of games that we're gonna be announcing. Um, that 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 will be. We'll have a, a special preview night on the Friday night for oh, fans okay. to come in and check out some of these new games that are coming out later in the year, including games like Paladins of the West Kingdom. Mm. Um, and and so if you're a fan of Raiders of the North Sea or Architects of the West Kingdom, it's it's definitely worth checking out, um, as well as a bunch of other games we're really excited about. So, so not much yeah, is happening. Great, not we'll definitely. Much. We make games for everyone, but in order to do that, you got to make a lot of games. What time will the preview thing be at Gen Con? So the preview thing, uh, our preview event is happening at. Uh, Room 139 on Friday night, uh, starting at 8 p.m. So the, the, if you look for the, the door just outside, like the, the exhibitors hall, uh, there's a hallway. Um, look for the door that is covered in Terror Below Worms. Terror Below is another one of our releases happening at Gen Con. It's designed by Mike Elliott, mm-hmm. who is like, like super amazing. <laughs> He's, He's a, a Hall of Fame, you know, game designer. Incredible design, really fun game. So if you look for big, like teeth, scary, creepy worms um, outside the door, do. uh, you'll know that's that's the terror below. That's terror below, and you can come by there. Uh, we'll be we'll be making the announcements promptly at at eight. It's not a like we're not going to have like a big long presentation. It's going to be like a pretty quick presentation with some some announcements. But Sweet. then we're going to have a lot of these games to preview on the tables that that are not available to to try any other time at Gen Con. We'll definitely try to make it out to that. We'll be at Gen Con, so uh, excellent, sounds excellent. like a lot of fun. Definitely encourage. Okay. Yeah, definitely encourage our listeners if you're at Gen Con, go check it out as well. And um, you and Renegade are both on Twitter. You want to give us those Twitter or what? Or what's the best place to find you online? Is is it Twitter or, or if you want to connect with you, follow what you're doing? Twitter is great. I'm uh, at that Terry girl T E R I only one R. So, uh, oh, or you can find me uh, on Facebook if you. Uh, do a search uh, for Wargamer Terry on Facebook. You can see some of the stuff out there. But cool. Instagram is where I put a lot of pictures of my miniatures up. And that's that Terry girl as well. And Renegade Game Studios is on all the social media platforms. So it's Play Renegade on Twitter, Play RGS on Facebook, and uh, Renegade underscore game underscore studios on Instagram. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on. This was really really enjoyed chatting with you and hearing your perspective and and about all the really like fascinating work you've gotten to do uh in in the games industry as well it was, a, it was a blast to hear about so yeah and you can follow love thy nerd on all the social medias just search for at love thy nerd uh on facebook you might want to also join our 
community. Just search for Love Entered Community and ask to join. And once we are sure that you're not a robot, we'll let you in. Um, I believe that's about it for us. We have a whole podcast network. Go check them out. Uh, we have a, a comic book podcast, which is called The Pull List. We have free play podcast as well, which is kind of a, gets into all areas of nerddom. Um, and it's just a super fun listen as well. So go check those out. Check out lovethynerd.com for great articles, interviews, um, features that will educate you about why nerd culture matters and, and how to engage it thoughtfully. Um, in, in a way that we hope will be will be life giving for you and life giving for the people around you. Um, that's about it for us. Thanks again, Terry. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. 